Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, exploring the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. We're picking up where we left off last year with a closer look at the False Creek Flats. If you're not familiar with this area, it's a major job centre in Vancouver, bordered by Main Street to the west, Great Northern Way to the south, Prior Street to the north, and Clark Drive to the east. The Flats is home to the new Emily Carr University campus and the new St. Paul's Hospital that is under construction. About 8,000 people work there at over 600 diverse businesses, and in the next 15 years, this area is about to change dramatically, with employment expected to triple. Joining us today to talk about the future of the Flats is Adam Mitchell, Vice President, Asset Management and Development at Low Tide Properties, and Jarvis Roulard, Senior Vice President at PCI Developments. Welcome, gentlemen. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice you to as well. see you too. Adam, let's start with you. Low Tide Properties is known as one of Vancouver's largest life sciences landlords. Why is the False Creek Flat so important to your organization? I think the interesting thing about the False Creek Flats as it relates to life sciences, it's had a good history of life science use uh, in the past. There's some pre-existing life science buildings that were built anywhere from 10 to 15 years ago. And they were really built in the Falls Creek Flats because the at the time the land cost was low enough that you could build a life science building. Uh, those buildings are more expensive to build than a traditional office or industrial building. So there was a good history of life science uh, tenants in the area. And then the, the announcement of St. Paul's was another key catalyst uh, that really is, is going to change the area, uh, particularly related to life science research and, and laboratory use. And, and the emergence of the Mount Pleasant district is also uh, another catalyst for life science in the Falls Creek Flats, having some of the bigger names in our life science ecosystem locate there, like Abcelera and Zionworks is uh, really beneficial. And the Falls Creek Flat sits at the nexus of those two, what I would call anchors, the uh, the new St. Paul's Hospital and the, the Mount Pleasant District. Yeah, for sure. You can see that there's a real cluster. And that's the word I think that a lot of people are using around life sciences. But Jarvis, PCI Development is a partner with Low Tide on several of the properties along Great Northern Way. So, you know, what do you see as the potential of this area? Well, I think, uh, one, it's a unique a uh, large tract of land that with proximity to downtown. So I think that that's a, you know, there's nothing else like it that's left available in the city. Um, so that's the first part. And I think that's where, you know, the city planning process, which started with the False Creek Flats uh, plan a number of years ago, and has kind of evolved to a portion of that being included in the Broadway plan, which was enacted in the re this past September. Um, I think it was critical uh, and great that the city was able to look at relook at that and say, okay, there's a huge opportunity here with the infrastructure of the rapid train going in um, and other things. So I think that was really interesting. I think you know the key pillars we look at in particular, and, and we could talk a little bit about the, the, the specific Great Northern Way corridor that that we're focused on. Um, there's there's key pillars there, close proximity to downtown, like I said, um, which some companies would see, you know, not being in the heart of downtown but being close enough to get to downtown. There's benefits to that. Um, Access, so the Central Valley Greenway for cycling, rapid transit expansion, UBC from the VCC Clark Station with the new Great Northern Way Emily Carr Station being constructed at Thornton Street, and then also the educational cluster that's there. 
Um, you got the VCC, Emily Carr, Center for Digital Media, and others looking to move there. So I think those are very key pillars in what we look at for, you know, an opportunity to grow uh, a large kind of world-class site. And certainly, Adam, Low Tide Properties has seen great opportunity here. So maybe give us a little bit of background on your organization and the projects that you've been involved in in this uh, in the False Creek Flats. Sure. So Low Tide as a company was started uh, in 2010. The strategy has been to explore neighborhoods outside the downtown core. So you'll find us in Gastown, Strathcona, Mount Pleasant, Kitsilano, and of course the Falls Creek Flats. We also operate a similar strategy in Seattle uh, where we, we kind of like to look at some of those neighborhoods where we feel they're either emerging or they've got a great growth trend uh, happening. Uh, and we tend to accumulate a number of properties in those neighborhoods to really then try and put a, a more macro strategy in place, try and curate the retail so that we're providing the right mix to those communities. Uh, and the False Creek Flats, is, is, again, is a very similar story to that, just on a much larger scale. Uh, so as you mentioned, we got involved with PCI on starting to acquire sites along Great Northern Way. Uh, in and around those post-secondary institution anchors with the thought that eventually that rapid transit extension would come through uh, the area. So we began accumulating and, and really the goal here is to uh, really put in place what, what we would consider a more complete community into the, the Falls Creek Flats and along the Great Northern Way Corridor and really try and introduce a variety of uses to that area because it really is in that transition point from a classic industrial to more of a, a mixed urban industrial with with office and hopefully uh, more residential and retail amenities for people down there. Yeah, I'm glad you raised the word uh, community because I, I think that this has been a, a long time industrial space. And I think we'll talk about industrial land and the industrial land shortage in a moment. I want to get your thoughts on that, Jarvis. We're all trying to be more sustainable and having people live closer to where they work is one of the ways to do that or closer to transit hubs. So is that the vision for this area is that there will be some residential included in the mix? I, I think absolutely. As we look at what we would call complete community, residential uh, has to be some component of that. Um, and again, I think to your point about sustainability, it does have to act as uh, I'll call it a 24-7 destination in a sense. Um, I know that that term is probably overused, but um, providing people the things they need within that 15 to 20 minute radius, whether it be walking or some form of uh, light transportation, either by bike or, you know, electric scooter or things like that. Uh, so that that's our vision. I mean, Again, I would defer to Jarvis probably more on, on what exactly that looks like as the development lead on this. But from low tide's perspective, when we talk about community, it's really providing people the things they need within an accessible radius. So not only are we providing, uh, you know, some opportunities to grow important clusters like like sciences, but could be going a ways to solving some of the housing shortage problems that we've got. So Jarvis, what is, you know, what would the the ideal mix then be in this area around light industrial and residential? Well, I think we have to respect that there is, you know, like you mentioned briefly, there is an industrial shortage, and I think there, uh, the city is is uh, you know looking to protect some of that. I think. Uh, having said that, I mean, we, we, we've been around for 40 years. We've, we're kind of synonymous, our development group with, with building transit or to mixed use, uh, communities. 
around rapid transit, we're really big believers that mixed use is, is the sustainable way you mentioned it. It's, it's the sustainable base of how development should be, should evolve going forward. Adam mentioned security. Uh, we call his eyes on the street 24 um, seven mixed use brings that if, if it was just going to be commercial down this tract, you'd have a, you know, it's just another uh, office park that, you know, after five o'clock, and even perhaps now with the way office use is going, it's more fluid there. There's, you know, mm. people are coming in for less hours. It may become more of a dead zone. So it really is important to create that mixture of uses to thrive. The other thing we're, we're really looking to do here, I mean, this is a, you know, Vancouver's tech, life science, creative, innovative ecosystem has evolved over the last two d- decades. And it's grown to, you know, a, a great scale. I mean, you look at all the, the, uh, brokerage reports that kind of track tech across North America. Vancouver is quickly rising the ranks. Um, and there's no uh, large world-class ecosystem that exists in this city. And it's, it's, there's a huge demand for it. Um, and it's, and really what that ecosystem needs to be, it has to have a mixture and allow for a mixture of all those uses so that those people can collide and, and create ideas and, uh, you know, and have gathering spots that you have public coming. It, it all mixed use from what we've done with, you know, Crossroads of Broadway Academy and Marine Gateway in South Vancouver, and now recently King George in Surrey. It, what we've learned is it's really, you know, we focus on the ground up. It's it's the retail, the residential draws the retail, the retail draws the office. It's a circular demand. And all when you get all three of those and you you know you're throwing industrial into the mix as well in certain sites like this one. You really they're all synchronous and they they create demand for each other. So Adam, what is this then going to look like from like and and why the life sciences piece um, maybe from low tide's perspective? Sure, I I think life science fits in, into the larger narrative that Jarvis just mentioned in terms of that creative ecosystem here in Vancouver. So. And it does tie back to community. Uh, you've had uh, Tracy Reddy's from Science World on, on this mm-hmm. podcast previously, and we've had a number of meetings and discussions with her to say, how can we collaborate best? And that, I think, is one of the other unique things about the Falls Creek Flats is the willingness and eagerness for all these different groups, whether it's Science World, St. Paul's, ourselves, to collaborate to create something that truly is world class. Um, and again, I put life science into that more kind of creative frontier type uh, economy that's being developed in Vancouver. And at the end of the day, I think it comes back to the the talent that is produced in Vancouver um, and the region broadly. Uh, so again, more specifically to the False Creek Flats, places like Emily Carr, VCC, or the Center for Digital Media, um, they are producing talent that on a world stage is probably pound for pound better uh, and because of that, Vancouver is putting itself on the world stage in a lot of these new areas like life sciences, clean tech, VR, AR, all of these these frontier technologies, and um, they just don't have a home. And I think we see that as a tremendous opportunity in the Falls Creek Flats to really create that world-class ecosystem for these groups to thrive. I, I think, too, just to add to Adam's point, um, you know, we've kind of seen you know, when we started this strategy, uh, you know, if it was eight, nine years ago together, when we started building the, what they call the slide, which is that five, six, five great Northern way. And there's the pedal with the nemesis that some of your listeners might know about. I mean, that really the demand for that, uh, you know, we were fully leased kind of by the time the building was finished and that was, and you look at the types of tenants that went in that building, that kind of, it was a sneak peek as to the type of user that kind of solidified our thesis. Um, and then the other piece that solidified our thesis was, you know, early 2020, mid 2020, 
um, we acquired a vacant office building. It's a beautiful wood building just down the down the street, uh, closer to VCC Clark. It was the former MEC headquarters. Mm-hmm. They had built it directly for them. They'd vacated it. It was a vacant building. Um, we acquired it on the thesis that we, you know, when everybody else was saying office was dead, we collectively, the partnership really believed that, you know, in, that, in certain areas, it will thrive. Um, and it was part of a larger assembly plan. And uh, within five months of buying that vacant building, we released it to EA Sports. And so, again, it kind of validated our thesis on the program. And I think that's only going to strengthen as we go forward. So for sure, the demand is there and there's vision about the clusters. Um, But land values and lease rates are increasing. And some would say it is becoming unaffordable in in our region, especially for startups and for those smaller kind of established uh, businesses already. So... How, like, is there a strategy in place or what do you do to kind of mitigate to make sure that you're still keeping because life sciences really thrives on startups and some of those small businesses. So how can that be addressed to make sure that, you know, that it is profitable, but that those rates are being kept in that affordable range? Mm-hmm. To be honest, I think one of the solutions, and we've talked about it uh, with city staff and others in past, is, I mean, there's a lot of places in the city where we have limits to height for various different reasons, some valid and some arguably not. Um, you know, it's, we really want to preserve the ground plane. I think that's important uh, for livability in a city. But I'm, if we're able, if, if developers are going to be able to, li- I mean, we talk about costs going up and sustainability objectives to build these new buildings, they're expensive. Um if we're if if there's going to be uh, ability to foster spaces for the arts and for others and, and creatives and some of these startups, I think density needs to be increased to to help kind of offset those costs, um, and uh, all within reason. But I think that's something that you know the Broadway plan is going to help foster. Obviously, being putting a lot more density through that area, I think was was great and will hopefully allow for better ground plan. It's going to allow for more uh, you know uh, setbacks off of the street, more walkability. And also potentially some areas where there can be community gathering spaces and potentially, you know, urban maker spaces and things like that. And that's going to take a bit of a, a, I think, a shift in mindset, too, for a lot of people in this region that maybe they're still grappling with the need to increase density to be able to address the industrial land shortage, to address the housing supply. I mean, we're seeing it happen, though, like globally, density hasn't been so much of an issue as it has been, uh, maybe because we're a newer city. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the same goes for purpose-built rental. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing. I mean, purpose-built rental doesn't, doesn't necessarily pencil right now where land values have been and land values will come off, but I don't believe they'll come off enough to fully justify a, a, a whole bunch of new rental coming. And, and so I think that's going to be critical as well as where, where we can smartly add density around stations and otherwise and add, you know, quality purpose-built rental that will help the housing crisis. There'll be a, a piece to it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Adam, you mentioned um, low tide and, you know, its strategy, you mentioned Seattle and in the research I've been doing about the False Creek Flats, um, other places around the world have done this where they've kind of clustered different uh, industries or sectors to really get, um, you know, a lot of creativity and innovation going in one particular geography. So uh, is this the idea for for some of the work that you're doing um, around the life sciences and, and looking at to other jurisdictions globally? Absolutely. Um, certainly, there's some great precedents out there that we've spent a lot of time analyzing and understanding how they work. Uh, South Lake Union in Seattle is obviously closest to, to us. That's a good example. Uh, the Boston Innovation District, uh, New Lab in New York City, uh, King's Cross in London in the UK. Um, I think Station
Station F in Paris is another good example. So there's, you know, it's a lengthy list, but there's certainly places that have achieved this and some great lessons that we can do. But um, what one of the main lessons from all those different projects or areas is that they're very unique to the, the city they're in. And so there's no template to drop in here. What we do will be very unique and Vancouver centric. And that's part of the story we want to tell. Again, we want Vancouver, especially low tide. There's, there's a great affinity to the city of Vancouver uh, for, from our shareholders and, and from low tide. And we really want it to be on that world stage and do something that uh, the city can be proud of. Yeah. And it's funny, as you were talking, you know, I was thinking about the fashion district, uh, you know, in New York, and there's there's all kinds of places and different industries that are clustered. And so there's a real natural inclination to do that here in Vancouver. Super exciting opportunity. Um, Jarvis, what is the timeline here? Are we talking about five years, 10 years, 25 years? I mean, what are we seeing? Well, I think, you know, the so I guess going back a little bit with the city process. So the Broadway plan was enacted and that was kind of a citywide planning exercise that, uh, you know, kind of set the, the blueprint for what is, what would be allowed down that corridor going forward. That was enacted in September. So we are, and, and up until that, during that kind of two to three year process, while the Broadway plan was in place, they weren't, the city was not allowing any, any rezonings at that time. So there was kind of a moratorium. So that's kind of kept everybody on the heels. So now we're in and talking to the city um, and we're not uh, out of respect for city staff. We're not able to really talk about the details on, on the exact plans that we're proposing yet, but suffice to say, our hope is that we'll be putting in a, a, a pre-zoning application kind of in the next quarter um, at which time then some of those details will be made public. But, um, and then at that time that, you know, that will take a couple of years to kind of go through that process and getting permits and things like that. Um, and at the same, so that's when we would be able to start putting shovels in the ground. Our hope is in the next couple of years. Um, and that should be timely because that's when the, the train will hopefully be finished in 2025 and, and we'll be able to go there. So we have a total of eight acres roughly down that corridor, really kind of bookending at the VCC Clark station, uh, kind of heading west. And then we have uh, a couple acres, uh, including the air rights above the, st- the new station that's being built at Thornton. And so I expect that we're going to have uh, a really, really unique kind of world-class gathering spot in that area. And uh, I think, yeah, like Adam mentioned, I think we're we're really happy PCI is because we're part of a, a unique Vancouver-based, Vancouver-passionate partnership with Low Tide. And I think that's going to come through when people see the plans that we have in store. Well, it's got to be good news then to hear the... Um maybe the, the change in approach by the city of Vancouver around permitting delays and licensing and really looking to accelerate some of those timelines, because as we all know, those delays actually end up putting more cost on the project, which is of course offloaded everywhere else too. Mm-hmm. So are you seeing that, that change in mindset as well at the municipal level? I, I think there's a will, I, I you know, I, I, our hope is that there will be, I think, you know, unfortunately with the Broadway plan being, you know, kind of putting everything stalled for, for a few years now, there's mm-hmm. been an influx of applications. So I think what they're going to be doing is uh, likely prioritizing ones that they feel are the most important, hopefully ones around transit stations and other, and other up. But I think there's no doubt that there, there's a backlog that they're going to have to get through. And that may delay the process uh, for, for many projects. So I can't believe we're almost running out of time already because there's a, a ton more that we could talk about this, but maybe I'll finish with a same question for both of you. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you. You know, if you were to put your mind uh, out, say a decade, uh, what would be your hope for the false Crete flats? Yeah, I think at that 
time I'd expect, obviously, the, the Broadway extension to be complete and running. Um, certainly, the St. Paul's Hospital will be uh, operational to some capacity, maybe not the full campus plan, but but a good part of it. So uh, at that point in time, I, I would love for us to be able to showcase what we're planning for the area um, centered around probably the uh, the Thornton Station at Emily Carr and being able to really show people what's possible in this city when when we have uh, great collaboration amongst uh, the stakeholders in the area as well as the city itself and and having them uh, buy into this vision that we're trying to create. Um, you know, again, I referenced you know some of the the work we're doing with Science World and um, I think really giving those types of groups who operate in that innovation system a place to showcase their best work. If, if we're there in, in 10 years and it's a very compelling place for people in the city to come check out what is new and exciting, I think uh, I'd be pretty satisfied. That's great, Adam. So you've set the vision, uh, Jarvis, as a developer. I mean, what's your hope over the next decade to get to that point? <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a st steady process. Uh, it's a, it's an incredibly unique opportunity for us. I mean, we've worked on some great, exciting kind of large complex projects, but this is, this is a, this is a wonderful project to work on our whole team. Uh, you know, we've got great partner, obviously patient uh, generational partner to work with that really has a global vision for this. Uh, so I think, you know, our, our hope, my hope would be that when we look back on this, they're going to say, well, peace, our partner delivered again for us. Um, and it's going to be a place that, uh, like Adam mentioned, people, when they come to Vancouver, it'll be on the map of a place that people really need to go check out. So as long as we've got uh, government at all levels uh, supporting this and moving things along quickly, we've got uh, the business community behind it and really hoping that we get there very quickly. Adam Mitchell, Vice President, Asset Management and Development at Low Tide Properties, and Jarvis Roulard, the Senior Vice President at PCI Developments. Thanks so much for the conversation today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us.